Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Free Lawyer Podcast. Wherever you are listening, if you enjoyed what I shared, please leave me a rating and review. I would appreciate hearing more about what you like best and what topics you might like me to cover in future episodes. If you are interested in experiencing a more fulfilling and a more successful life, please contact me at www.garymiles.net where you can schedule a free discovery call with me so I can learn more about you, your challenges, and your dreams. I appreciate each and every one of you and have a great rest of your day. Thanks to all of you for your support. Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of The Free Lawyer, and I'm glad that each and every one of you is here with us today. I'm really, really thrilled today because I have Laura Terrell joining us. Uh, Laura Terrell is an attorney and executive coach with many years experience, and I was so impressed when she and I chatted about her diversity of experience from working for, for big law firms, working in industry, and working in the White House. So really glad to have you here today. Laura, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm great, Gary. And thanks so much for that nice introduction. Well, it's it's truly my pleasure. Um, Laura, tell me a little bit about yourself, um, your journey, and how you got to where you are today. Well, I'll start by telling you that I was the first person in my family to be a lawyer. I didn't wow. have a lot of experience. I know a lot of people say, you know, I had a parent that was a lawyer or really trusted family friend. I didn't have anything like that. My motivation for going into law was I was very interested in doing public service. And I thought it was a great way to merge my interest in government affairs with having the legal expertise to be able to advocate, speak on behalf of the government, do policy or litigation. I wasn't exactly sure what, but I started out as a trial attorney, an enforcement attorney with the Commodity Futures Trading Commission doing financial regulatory enforcement, which was not something I had seen myself doing, but it was a great base for experience. It really fulfilled a lot of my interest in being a public servant, working in the government. I later went to work at the Department of Justice and at the White House in very senior positions. And I today work with a lot of government attorneys who are in the public sector, obviously. And that is a lot of fun for me because I remember being a junior attorney. I remember being a more senior attorney and some of the experiences that are very different in the government sector than you would get in private practice or in a corporate environment. But that said, I've also um, been in-house counsel at a publicly traded company, and I've been a partner in two very large global law firms with big international footprints. And I've enjoyed all of those experiences. I think one of the things that makes me really appreciate having decided to be a lawyer is I've gotten just a great diversity of experience. And I work with clients who come from a number of backgrounds. And that gives me, I think, a little bit of insight into some of the things that they're experiencing, some of the things that are priorities for them, and just also all the things that the law has to offer in terms of opportunity for people to really pursue different paths, different goals. And that can be exciting working with clients as well, sharing that there are many ways to be a lawyer or to leverage a law degree, even in a non-legal capacity. That, that's really true. One of the gifts of our profession is we can use our legal background training experience in so many different ways. And I'm really impressed with your diversity of experience. I'm I'm the opposite of you. 
I joined my firm in July 9, 1982, and I'm still there today. I went from associate to partner to managing partner to double counsel, and I never left. So all those varied experiences, I, to me, that's very, very impressive. What were some of the challenges you or obstacles you encountered during those experiences, and, and what, how did you overcome them personally? Well, I think there are different challenges in different places. I think certainly making the transition from government service to working at a private law firm and being on the path to partnership was a very different experience. When you're in the government, you don't have to worry about going out and getting clients. Your phone rings because your clients call you. Uh, our agency just got sued, or we see an enforcement issue that's coming up and we're going to need some assistance because we know where we're going to be in terms of the venue and we're going to be in a tough court for this. When you move to private practice, it's a whole different experience, obviously, as, as you well know, Gary, you know, you have to go out and get clients, you have yes. to market yourself. And those are things that take different skills. I think for me, I always felt fortunate that I liked the business side of lawyering and I liked having relationships with clients and sharing my expertise. And one of the things people can do in private practice with government experience is obviously share. They understand the process that the government agencies go through. They understand some of the thinking when a government attorney is negotiating a settlement with you or you're trying to get to a settlement. Those are things that private clients will really value. And I think for me, having that business sense of translating my government experience made that transition easier. But that's not to say there there aren't challenges. I think uh, in-house, you always have the challenge of really being a captive client. You have one client. And if that client is difficult, you can't necessarily go and find another one or decide that you don't want to work together anymore. You have to find ways to find common ground. You have to find ways to collaborate. And you want to be a resource. You don't want people to fear you that you're the in-house counsel that says, no, you can't do that. You want to try to be someone that can help them find solutions and practical solutions, even if it's not an unqualified yes to everything your clients want to do. So there are different challenges in different places, but I always found that to be the most interesting part of my work. So what was the, the most recent position that you held? Most recent position was I was a deputy general counsel at a public company. Mm -hmm. And from there, I decided to make the move into executive coaching. That coincided with a shift in my personal life. Uh, my husband and I were making a fairly significant move, and I decided that I really wanted to spend a lot more time talking with people about the issues that were important to them in the profession, stuff that's hard to do when you have a day job. You know you know this, Gary. You, when you're preparing for trial or you're working on a big matter, an investigation, or trying to close a corporate deal, it's really hard to spend one-to-one -one time with people, giving them support, giving them guidance, giving them feedback on where their career may be and where they might like to go with it. And for me, that's something that I felt a calling to do. I felt that I had done a lot. I'd been very successful in private practice and in uh, in-house service, in public service, but I wanted to take that opportunity to share with my clients some of the things that I've learned about the business of law about the professional uh, side of being a lawyer, uh, growing your business, getting ahead, getting promoted, figuring out how to make a change. And I felt that I've been there in so many of those scenarios that I had something to offer. And that's what I really enjoy about working with my clients is they teach me things about uh, the profession that are exciting for me to learn from. And I also hope that I share with them things that 
can help support them and help guide them on their journey. What I love about what you just said is you're, you know, so experienced and so successful as an attorney, you could really do anything, you know, working for big companies, big law, the government, the White House, but you have a passion to help and serve others and help them be their best and, and found that the time you're spending practicing law prevented you from really building and utilizing that talent. And I love that you have that passion to serve. I, I really enjoy spending that engaging focused time with, with my clients. I also really enjoy talking about just as you do the things that matter to me about being a lawyer. And again, that's something that you don't always have the time to step back and take that perspective. Look at where you are, ask yourself, what does it really mean to me to be a lawyer? What are the things that I really value? If I could do something differently as a lawyer, what might I do? Or what do I think the profession needs to be talking about now that is a change on the horizon or something that is challenging for lawyers across all of the disciplines we've talked about? And so I have the opportunity to do that as well. Great. So tell our listeners, you know, what do you do now? What, what's your, how do you help and serve others now? And who are your clients and what do you help them with? So what I do now is I'm an executive coach. Um, about half my lawyers are clients. Many of them are women, uh, lawyers of color, really diverse pool, which I enjoy very, very much. Almost all of them are, are quite ambitious people. They're high performers, people that are uh, successful in many regards, but maybe they're stuck or maybe they're trying to make a change or a pivot or a transition. And what I try to focus on when somebody comes to me and says, I want to make partner at my law firm, or I'm frustrated with business development, or I feel like I've run my course in this agency and I want to make a move, maybe outside government or maybe to a different type of practice of law. I really love working with them on helping them see their own strengths and capabilities, helping keep them accountable, and building confidence around what they can do and where they want to go, what direction they can move in. I find lawyers are often hesitant to ask questions of themselves, ask questions of others around them, sit down with colleagues and say, I, I want to be a partner. What do you think my strengths are in that process? What does that process look like? Why what, do you, why do you think that about? is? Why do you think we lawyers are hesitant to ask questions about ourselves, our goals, our future, our vision? You know, I think it's a couple of things, Gary. I think first, lawyers are great advocates for others, but I think they often feel lonely and they often feel like there are things they can't share because it might show vulnerability or it might suggest that they're not the best and brightest, the greatest and the good at everything they do. You know, we're advertising ourselves to clients as being really terrific, but asking a question of someone do you think I have a chance at partnership this year? Bears with it the risk that somebody may say, well, not this year, or I think you're a strong candidate, but there's some things you need to focus on. And I think there's a hesitancy to feel inferior or feel that there's something missing. And what I tell my clients is, if you're telling me you want to do this, you want to be a partner in a law firm, for example, you need to ask some hard questions and you need to know, what are the questions I'm going to get asked by that partnership committee? Where do I look like maybe I need to make some changes or some, some pivots in my work so that I best position myself and being realistic about the economic situation. And I think doing that kind of research on behalf of themselves 
forces lawyers to be open to feedback, forces them to be open to constructive criticism uh, and to, to being honest about what they really want and what they want to do. So I, I think there's there's a little bit of hesitancy with that. I also think there's sometimes a communication issue with lawyers. We're hard to believe. That's what we're supposed to be good at, you know? I know. But sometimes lawyers aren't accustomed to really listening to what other people are saying. They're talking all the time. Well, I couldn't agree more. I I did a a newsletter about this recently, the importance of effective listening. And actually, the ABA had me speak to their dispute resolution group in a podcast about the importance of listening. And we so much want to talk as lawyers, offer advice, tell you what we think. But we learn so much from listening, don't we? And learn learn what the other party's thinking, whether it's in a case or just a relationship at work, whatever. Listening is so important. You know, I think that's so true. I tell the story often of a client that invited me to a, a baseball game uh, with a bunch of other lawyers from other firms. It was sort of an outreach, very nice of them to do. I thought that was great. And then I ended up sitting next to this particular client among some of the other folks from the the company that that we worked for. And I thought, oh, great, this will be an opportunity for me to really chat with him. And I'll be able to, you know, talk to him about my practice and things that are going on. And instead, for almost an hour and a half, he talked nonstop to me and not about case we were working on, not about opportunities, really very personal stuff. Started opening up a little bit about what was going on with one of his kids, started talking a bit about what was happening in his personal life and how it was sort of affecting his his stuff at work. And he said, yeah, I know I haven't been that engaged on this matter with you. And here's why. Gary, I don't think I said more than about three sentences in that hour and a half. Mm. When the game ended, he got up and he said to me, it's been really great talking to you. Thanks so much for listening to me. And I tell people that story all the time because I feel like sometimes we need to just listen to what other people are telling us and why it's important to them. And the same is true if you're getting feedback. It's listening to somebody telling you what you should be thinking about. And it really taught me what was going on in his life. And it made me a little bit more conscious of not pressing him too hard on some things because I knew he had a lot going on personally and I needed to check in with him on that occasionally and see if he was in a good place. And we have a great relationship. Uh, It was a really eye-opening moment for me, but that power of listening and sometimes letting somebody else take the direction is just key. It really is. People feel so honored when we we truly are present and and listen to them and understand them. So with the clients you work with now, what are some of the problems that they present to you and how do you work with them to help them overcome them and be as successful as they want to be? One of the Issues, as I mentioned, is people that want to get promoted. Another is people that are frustrated in developing business or they've had a setback in their business development efforts. And one of the things that I talk with my clients about on that front is just what we were alluding to, that business development is not selling yourself. It's not delivering big glossy brochures. It's being authentically engaged with people, sometimes for a long period of time before they get to know you and they trust you. Your clients want to trust you and they're going to give you the work and they're going to put that trust in you when they feel comfortable with you. And that can sometimes be a long a long process. I think one thing COVID has taught us is that people very much want to be connected. 
and they want to be connected in a meaningful way. When when COVID reduced the level of in-person contact, it forced attorneys to think more creatively about how to reach out, how to engage with their clients, and not just send blast emails out um, that would get disregarded, but to have real authentic relationships. I was at a conference this week and I saw people greeting each other and hugging each other. And it was a really powerful reminder that people just want to be connected in some way and they want to get to know you and they want to understand how do you work? What's your approach? Is Gary somebody that's going to return my phone calls? Is Laura someone that's going to constantly say, can you give me work? Can you give me work? Can you give me work? Or is she also engaging to see what's on my mind? Is she sending me something that she thought would be helpful maybe as I was thinking through an issue with a big case or a big matter that I'm handling? So those are some of the ways I address that issue. I think other issues that clients come to me with, feeling lack of confidence, maybe some imposter syndrome. You know, I, I one of my lot. earliest podcasts was about imposter syndrome. And I realize I've suffered from it too. And yet everything in my background and my resume would show I'm very successful, I'm very intelligent, I'm very good, et cetera. But yet we have this fear that it's all pretend that we're not really that good, even though everyone sees us that way. It's very strange. So tell me what, what you understand about imposter syndrome, how you see it reveal itself in your clients and how you work with them to manage that. I think, as you say, it's pretty common. And I think it often manifests when you have a setback. Sometimes it can be a big setback. Maybe you've lost a critical argument. Sometimes it can be a smaller setback, just an offhand comment by a colleague or a client that you think, wait a minute, were you, were you trying to say something about me? Were you when, you, when you said, well, that wasn't our finest moment. Did you mean that I failed? Did you mean that I wasn't good? And I think we start really tearing ourselves apart over those instances. I was working with a client recently who had uh, a setback in a trial and was really feeling this imposter syndrome. And one of the things we worked through was the level of expectation that the client had set for themselves was so high that no one could live up to it. And we talked a little bit about what it means to be an imposter. I often ask my clients, what's a great example of an imposter? And I've heard different things. Bernie Madoff is, is one that comes up a fair amount. Sometimes it's a political figure. Sometimes it's someone who defrauded the government. And I say, do you see yourself as any of those people? No, I'm not those people, but I feel that I'm not as good as I could be. Well, I think we're all working to be better. I think we all want to try to get better and more skilled. Many of my clients do, but they also need to really focus on the fact that that client that hired them for the trial hired them for a reason. They had skills. They're not imposters. They're human beings and human beings are imperfect and may have setbacks and hurdles, but they have skills and strengths. And when we start talking about, okay, well, that was a tough moment in the trial and you had a, you had a, a bad result. Did you lose the client? No, actually the client wants to keep working with me. The client knows this was a tough uphill battle and you had a tough week at work. You got a bad evaluation or you got some feedback that wasn't right. Well, let's talk about that feedback. Does it mean you're an imposter? No. If I think about it, sometimes clients say those are pointing out some things I know I need to work on, but that's just part of the path. So I find one of the things about imposter syndrome is really digging into it 
having folks recognize, I haven't met a client yet who's an imposter. I've met clients that feel that they're not at their best or there's more they could do, or they've had a setback, but those are not things that make them imposters. And in fact, they have real skills and strength that make them very valuable attorneys for their clients. That was really, really well said. And, and the two things I liked, I want to highlight in what you said is the word expect. Um, I did a podcast recently, Expectations. And, and what my experience is that when I expect a great result um, and I get it, I've lost the joy of it because I expected it. The analogy I give is when the Baltimore Ravens, my team, play a really terrible football team that we should absolutely win. And we win, I'm like, okay, well, obviously we were supposed to win that game. But then when we lose what we expected to win, we're totally crushed. When the Ravens lose that game, I feel awful because they should have beaten that team. So when when I have those expectations, I don't get the joy out of victory and and the feeling of defeat is is multiplied. And expectations can be really, they, they just create disappointment for us all the time. The other is you're, you're mentioning the word perfect. I think too many of we lawyers expect perfection from us at all times. And we can never really be perfect. So I kind of like the thought of trying for excellence instead of perfection. You know, that's something we can really attain. I think that's right. And I love the sports analogy because I'm a big football fan as well. And I think you can get really wound up in the game and think, my team is at the top of the charts. Maybe it's, I live in Atlanta now. Maybe it's the Atlanta Braves going to the World Series. Well, after you've won the World Series, every game after that, you're looking at it in that light. Yeah, that wasn't as great as the season we had last year. Are we going to go to the finals? What are we going to do in the playoffs? These are things that you're constantly self-criticizing. But if you take a step back and you think, actually, my Braves are having a pretty good year this year, that's a that's a great way of managing your expectations around that as well as with your clients. And as a litigator, uh, you and I are both litigators by trade. One of the things you learn really early is you're not going to win every battle with the judge. You're not going to win every argument. You're not going to win every motion. Sometimes you need to put in the motion. Sometimes you need to put in the argument because you need to lay the framework for something else. But you have to expect you're not going to win everything. Judges, of course, are really looking to try to balance and try to split the baby on as many things and get clients, uh, get get attorneys and their clients to compromise. So there's also a way of funneling that energy for perfection, as you say, into excellence, but also thinking about the ups, the downs, and the the larger arc of where you're going, whether it's with a long litigation, a big negotiation, a strategy for partnership three years before you make partner, there are going to be setbacks. Yeah, there are. And I like the, the saying, expect the unexpected. Because I know in litigation, um, I often think I know what my chances are of winning and losing. But man, it's strange what happens sometimes. Juries, I've tried many personal injury cases in my life, and a jury has never one time, not a single time, had a verdict in between what the plaintiff demanded and the defense offered. It's always a huge victory for the plaintiff or a huge victory for the defense and never really the what the expert think is the right verdict. So strange things happen and strange things happen with judges too. They're very unpredictable as well. And that's true in all aspects of our practice. So expecting the unexpected is really, you know, really important. Um, tell me about, you mentioned building a book of business. Um, you know, we, we go through law school and we don't really learn how to practice law. We learn how to research and write and analyze. Then we become lawyers and we learn how to handle files and whatever our field is but we're never really taught how to 
build a book of business. And then, then we go on along for a while with year five, year six, and we realize to make partner, we have to, we have to bring in some work. Is that something you encounter with your clients? And if so, how do you help them with that? I do. And I have a lot of clients that say, I was never really taught how to develop business. I, you know, understood having clients that you would take to dinner or potential clients that you would meet with. A lot of young attorneys say, I was told, just maintain your contacts, maintain your contacts and something good will come along. Well, that's sometimes true. If you maintain contacts, a friend of yours will go in-house, steer work towards you. I will tell you that in my career, I've had both work that's come from very dogged determination, extended relationships, following up with people. I've also had work that's come from really unexpected places. People that I didn't think really knew what my work was. But when I looked back, I thought, yeah, I've marketed myself and I've made the right branding and the right reputation. And somebody didn't have me in mind initially, but maybe they did at another juncture when there was an opportunity. I think one of the most important things young attorneys can do is really build their brand and reputation. And and that's more than just doing good work and building a good reputation in their law firm, but it's getting opportunities with the bar. It's speaking um, at events for young lawyers. It's participating on bar committees. It's also coming up with interesting ways to, to develop yourself differently. If somebody says, you know, we need someone to, work on a new podcast idea for our law firm. We think we'd like to do a law firm podcast. Raise your hand if you get a chance to uh, go along on a pitch, but all you're doing is maybe putting together the materials, but you get a chance to be in the room or on the phone call where the pitch is done, you learn something. I learned so much from just watching how other people approach clients and how other people approach their business development efforts. There were some things that I learned that I thought, that's not really me. I don't think I would be comfortable doing that, or um, I don't play a lot of golf, so I'm probably not going to take clients out golfing. But there were other things I learned from partners who said, you know, I don't do those things, but I have made successes of other ways of interacting with folks. I have people that, you know, run 5Ks with me, or people that really have a love of the theater, or we talk about film a lot. Uh, Young lawyers can also promote themselves by just talking about the things that matter to them outside of work. I think people are more and more interested in that. Look at what people are doing on LinkedIn by connecting with people and meeting them where they are, things that are of mutual interest to them. I have a client that I follow that is always blogging about film. We don't talk about film in our work together, but it's something that I'm constantly reminded of them when I see a great film. And I think that's something that connects us and makes us more likely to interact and those things do matter. I think business development is more than just putting together a great sales pitch. It's really nurturing relationships with people, being open to what comes along and learning different ways of business development too. It really is important to build those relationships. It's not being salesy. A glossy brochure isn't bad, but really it's about building a connection where a client or a prospective client knows, likes, and trusts us for, for who we are. Do many of your clients struggle with fears of losing clients, building business, things along those lines? And, and how do you support them with that? They do. And I find one of the things that clients go through is a lot of ups and downs on that front. They're either really, really busy with work and they've got lots going on and they feel like they've got this great case. 
And you know what the worst day is? The case ends and you have a great success and you don't have that work anymore. And it's almost like clients come off that cliff and they say, I had this great case, but nothing else has come along. It's a little dry right now. I'm not sure how I go out and get other clients. One of the ways to address it is just to be working that pipeline all the time with your relationships, with your engagement, with your business development. You've got to make time for doing things like writing an article for the Bar Journal. You've got to do t- make time for doing things like posting on LinkedIn about an interesting case that you've seen or reaching out to clients that you haven't worked with in a while and just seeing if they're free for a cup of coffee and catch up about the U.S. Open or talk about the you know great fishing trip that they just had. Not just catching up with them to ask for work, but making sure to find time to do other things. There are opportunities in a lot of places, but I find what people do is often not nurture those when work is really flush. And then when work is not, they're frustrated because they haven't built that pipeline. They haven't seeded um, that ground to be able to possibly have other things that are moving in. As someone who managed my own firm for about three decades, I often thought about the fact that I know who my clients are now, but I have no idea three years from now what I'll be doing. Absolutely. What I will be doing, but those clients will likely not be my clients anymore. All the matters I'm working for them with now, hopefully will be resolved if I've done a good job and it won't still be hanging around, but I don't know who my clients will be three years from now. And that can be a scary thing if we think of it and doing the daily do of uh, reaching out to people, whether build, building brand through LinkedIn or some form of networking is really important. But the trouble I've heard with so many younger attorneys and so many multiple size firms is they don't have time. They have billable hour requirements and, and they're pretty onerous. Mm-hmm. And how can I find time to have lunch with Laura and connect with her and find out what's going on or or to spend 15 minutes a day focusing on building a brand at LinkedIn or volunteer with that local bar so- Young Lawyers Bar Association Committee when I have to build you know, 40 or 50 hours in a week. It's very challenging, isn't it? The billable hours are are really tough. I mean, at many large firms, they are quite significant. On top of that, young attorneys are being asked to do business development efforts for the partners they work with. They're being asked to support marketing. They're being asked maybe to join a committee inside the firm. And you need enough time in the day also to eat, sleep, and exercise and spend some personal time with your family, your friends. It is, it is a challenge, and I think it's something that can be frustrating for younger people in the profession. One thing I do suggest is that you not get too worried about not having a client by the time you hit fifth year at a law firm. But if you're doing great work with clients that are brought in by somebody else, but you can help grow that, that practice, I have a client right now that is very critical to about three of the firm's clients, not because she has brought them into the firm, but because she's worked hand in hand very intensely with the people who are responsible day to day for those things. Maybe not the general counsel of the company, maybe not the deputy general counsel, but an assistant GC who's in charge of compliance, who really depends on her as the the person that you pick up the phone to. When it comes time for partnership, and if you can show you've really grown in a large firm, a part of that business and you can show the dollars that are attributable in part from your work. Maybe you've been asked for on a specific matter or clients said, yeah, I'd love to have you guys handle this, but I really want Gary uh, to handle this day to day for me. 
those are powerful testaments in a large firm, particularly if they're for clients that the firm really values. Mm -hmm. You work with a, a lot of different lawyers and obviously have such a varied experience in the legal profession. What do you think are some of the most important problems the legal profession faces today? And, and what solutions do you see to them? I think you've highlighted one, which is the pressure to do this, do more, do everything. It's hard to find the time to be able to do things, particularly in a busy large firm practice. There's not as much opportunity for learning and training as there once was. And I hear that from a lot of attorneys. I think firms are working to, to provide those opportunities, but the reality is young associates have to seek them out themselves also. They have to find people and take them to lunch. I encourage them to take partners that they don't work with to lunch and to ask them about their practice and to learn a bit more about the firm. I think another real crisis in law firm world is the number of junior people coming up through the ranks that don't understand the economics of their firm or the financial metrics. And there's never really been a conversation with their firm about that. If you're in a practice area that is increasingly shrinking within your firm and doesn't command the rates that the firm is demanding to meet its overhead, to meet its economic expectations, to meet its revenue goals, you may be in a tough place and you may want to think earlier about, is this the right firm for me? I think a lot of young associates feel like there's never a conversation about the economics. It's more when you become a partner, we'll show you everything behind the curtain mm -hmm. and understanding those financials and what drives them early on is something that can be very powerful because a young attorney can say, you know, I have these great contacts, but we have conflicts with at least two of those companies and I'll never be able to bring in business to this firm. So if I'm going to rely on those great contacts, I might want to take my work elsewhere. I might want to think about that. I also think there's um, just a, a real gap in terms of private practice, law firms continually trying to work to the billable hour, which increasingly many clients do not want to do. Clients want flat fees. They want uh, flexible, flexible arrangements. They want um, alternative fee arrangements. I know a lot of lawyers that are talking about this. There's a great group called the Legal Value Network, um, comprised of business developers from in-house law firms, in-law firms, and in-house that are really collaborating and talk about this more openly. But I think the old model of the, the billable hour and the hourly rate for bills is tough, um, really tough to sustain. You hear a lot more general counsels saying, I don't want to pay $650 an hour for a junior associate. I just don't think that's a valuable use of, of time. I'm happy to have juniors on my matter, but I can't have them build at those rates. So I think there is a mismatch in some ways in, in law firm world between the financial expectations and what the market's really <laughs> Well said. Um, Laura, I call this the Free Lawyer Podcast because I'm passionate about helping lawyers really achieve true personal freedom. What does personal freedom mean to you? I think personal freedom is about being deliberate in your decision-making and in your choices so that you're making them and other people are not making them for you. One of the sad things I see is many people who are lawyers say they're unsatisfied or they don't feel like they have a lot of freedom and they don't feel like they have a lot of control over their career. And sometimes it's because they've never really exercised that control. They've never really said, I want to practice this kind of law. 
I don't want to be doing the kind of work that I'm doing right now. I want to make a switch. Some people are afraid to make that move and they say, well, you know, if I keep doing what I'm doing, maybe it'll be okay. Or I'm doing good work and nobody's ever told me I need to leave my firm because I'm getting too senior and I'm not a partner. I guess they'll promote me, you know, when they think they've done enough. If, if you're waiting for other people to define what your career is, I think you're letting other people make the choices. Personal freedom is when you're taking the steps to make those choices. doesn't mean that you can always achieve everything and it's easy or that all of your goals are realistic goals. I work a lot with clients on trying to define goals and how you can make them um, something that's achievable. But I think that it's really important to have that personal self-direction and to feel that you are in control of what you are doing and you are the person who can change your future and you will change it if you want to. That's wonderful. I think it really is important for we to all remember that we can choose a life we want as a lawyer. We don't have to stay stuck where we are. We can, we can make that what we want it to be, but often we don't examine our own life enough to figure out what do I want? How hard do I want to work? How much money do I want to make? You know, earlier you mentioned the importance of finding time in the day for eating well, exercise, sleeping, being with the family. And, and so often that gets lost and wellness is really, really important. I have a um, coach friend that has a great way of putting this when you often say, I don't have a choice. I had to do this. This coach says, you always have a choice. And, and I think that's true. You always have a choice. Now, it doesn't mean that every day you can choose every aspect of how you work. And there may be times in your career where you say, this isn't the ideal job for me, but financially, this is right for me and my family. That is still a choice. And you are prioritizing something that is important to you. The financial piece is important at that time. It doesn't mean that work-life balance is achievable every day. I have a lot of people that talk to me about work-life balance. And my response is, I don't think you can just have this overarching work-life balance. Some days you're going to have 12-hour days in trial. Some days, if you're a litigator, that's how it's going to be. There are also going to be days where trial ends and maybe you can take a week off and go with your friend or your spouse and take some holiday. You've got to try to find the right balance for you each day. And each yes, day is very different. Yes, but each day we're making those choices affirmatively. And we're saying, this is my priority. This is what I want to do now. This is how I will exercise it. And I think that is real freedom. That's fantastic. Laura, you know, I love you joining us today and, and you just shared some really powerful insights. Uh, for those of us who would like to get in touch with you and learn more about what you do and how you can help, um, how can they best find you and contact you? So great way to find me is on my website and maybe you can put this in the show notes as well, Gary. Um, my website is lauraterrell.com, L-A-U-R-A-T-E-R-R-E-L-L. Com. I also have a great free download there, uh, nine questions that lead to breakthroughs for lawyers. I'd encourage folks to check it out. You can also find it on Bitly, nine questions that lead to breakthroughs for lawyers. And that's a great way to get a taste of some of my thinking about lawyer life and some of the things you might start asking yourself if you're feeling like something's not quite right in your legal career. Great. Laura, thank you so very, very much for joining us today. You're really awesome. And for all of our listeners, thank you for listening as well. And please be well, be safe, and be free. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Free Lawyer Podcast. Wherever you are listening, if you enjoyed what I shared, 
please leave me a rating and review. I would appreciate hearing more about what you like best and what topics you might like me to cover in future episodes. If you are interested in experiencing a more fulfilling and a more successful life, please contact me at www.garymiles.net where you can schedule a free discovery call with me so I can learn more about you, your challenges, and your dreams. I appreciate each and every one of you and have a great rest of your day. Thanks to all of you for your support.